Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today I'll be continuing our special Dead Center 2019 coverage with an interview with the writer-director of one of my favorite films of the year so far, The Art of Self-Defense, Riley Stearns. Now, before we jump into the interview, if you're enjoying our special Dead Center 2019 coverage, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast for more interviews or follow us on social media at facebook.com forward slash The Cinematropolis or hit us up on Twitter at The Cinematrop. And if you want to get all of our team's written thoughts and reactions to the hottest films that played at the Dead Center Film Festival this past weekend, hit us up at thecinematropolis.com. But that's enough with the housekeeping. Let's go ahead and jump right into our interview with writer-director Riley Stearns. His film, The Art of Self-Defense, is sure to be one of this summer's most timely and memorable dark comedies. I want to sign up for classes. It's excellent news. I'm going to go ahead and enter you into the system. Name, Casey... Davies? It's a very feminine-sounding name. Why karate? I'm afraid. I'm afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of other men. (laughs) They intimidate me. I want to be what intimidates me. I want to be... This question's multiple choice. A, health and fitness. B, career opportunity. C, New Year's resolution. D, self-defense slash traumatic experience. What if it's none of the above? Should I read the choices again? No, that's okay. A, health and fitness. The dark comedy, The Art of Self-Defense, stars Jesse Eisenberg and is set in the world of karate. Eisenberg plays a man who is attacked at random on the street and enlists in a local dojo led by a charismatic and mysterious sensei played by Alessandro Navala in an effort to learn how to defend himself. So we are joined today by the writer and director of The Art of Self-Defense, Riley Stearns. Riley, welcome to Cinematic Schematic. Hey, thanks for having me, man. You were in Oklahoma City for a couple days for Dead Center. How was your trip? Um, it was so, so fun, so fast. Uh, like I got there, did screening, uh, the next day. Um, but I walked around and had a good time, uh, in Oklahoma city. Well, I mean, it was pouring down rain, but I still tried to get out and and do some stuff. And, uh, then the screening came along. It was completely sold out. Everyone was so friendly and cool. And, um, yeah, I wish I could have stayed longer, but I had to get out to New Jersey for another film festival. Uh, and it was just bang, bang, bang back and forth. So, uh, I'm glad I got to come and, and at least do the, the screening and the Q&A uh, while I was there. Excellent. Yeah. Well, again, thanks so much for making time out of your busy schedule to make it to Oklahoma City. Uh, I actually caught the film at South by Southwest and was very excited when we, we got it here for, for Dead Center and uh, was really excited to see kind of how the Oklahoma crowd would react to it. And uh, I think it got some some warm reception. <laughs> yeah, it felt, felt really good. I, th- I think people ended up digging it. And uh, if, if it's any like indication going to the party afterwards or walking around the streets and people flagging you down and saying, Oh my God, I love the movie. That's, it, it was a good feeling. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, of course, uh, I mean, I heard of your legendary Marietti's chicken sandwich that you've been tweeting about the last couple of days. I mean, w- would you rank it in your top five? That's the real question. Uh, yes, it was so different than anything I've ever had. Uh, yeah, I was talking to, I forget the bartender's name, uh, bald guy, mustache, super nice. Uh, he and I were chatting about it and, talking about the dry rub and what goes into it and everything. I, I 
yeah, it was kind of an obsession while I was there. I'm going to have to figure out how to come back someday just to just to have that sandwich. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the movie, The Art of Self-Defense. I think it was a really powerful, interesting, funny film. It definitely uh, was good for repeat viewings. I'll, I'll say that much. Maybe you could just start us off by talking a little bit about what inspired you specifically to make sort of this dark comedy about karate. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been doing jujitsu now for six years, so I, I at the time when I was starting to write this, I really wanted to set something in that world, and uh, just because it was a it was a new obsession at the time, jujitsu. I think at that point I'd been doing it maybe three years tops, uh, and just like thought, well, I want to make something in the space that I love being in, and I, I I thought that maybe the martial arts world could be kind of this. Um, uh, I don't know, way of getting into the this topic of masculinity that I also wanted to talk about as well and combining the two and, and kind of saying, even though it's a movie that's set in the world of karate, it's not about karate. Uh, that was important to me. And I think you could have done the same movie with like uh, football or you could have done the same movie with wrestling or whatever sport you want to pick. I just, because I was in into jujitsu, I felt like the martial arts space was the most interesting thing. And people know what karate is and they have no idea what jujitsu is for the, for the most part. So, and also I do think that kicking and punching is a little bit more cinematic than people rolling around on the ground like I do in jujitsu. So <laughs> I, I, I settled on karate and, and then I think it was important for me to say it is in the world of karate, but it's not about karate. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was, it was kind of one of those things where I think other people probably, when I was talking about the idea, they're like, you're doing a karate movie. Why is that? Like I did this, a uh, really quiet, uh, almost theater play type of thing for my first feature uh, called Faults, and it was about cults. And so this dark thing about cults, and then this next movie, I kept telling them, yeah, they've got this like karate thing that I'm, I'm, I'm excited about doing, and friends were like, what? Like, what? How is that going to be interesting, or what is, what is that going to be about? And uh, I just, I trusted myself, and I'm glad that I did. Firstly, uh, I'm glad you did too, because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it seems like you have uh, maybe some some of the themes though that from that first film that tie over. I have not seen Faults, uh, though I am very excited to check it out. Having seen uh, The Art of Self Defense twice, Amazon uh, Prime for free. Oh, for free? Okay, all right. Well, I, firstly, I'm going to get on that. And <laughs> listeners out there, absolutely make sure to get on that before you get about a month before you can catch Art of Self Defense uh, in theaters. Yeah. So see prime both yourself. of these films. <laughs> Literally, prime your Amazon Prime yourself. You know, you, you kind of touch on the idea of uh, karate as a cult, maybe not karate specifically, but this particular uh, dojo uh, being mm-hmm. somewhat cult-like. Uh, I mean, is there anything in particular about the martial arts that kind of lends itself to that? Well, yeah. I mean, for me, I would say that Casey, who's just Eisenberg's character in the film, uh, I would say Casey just wants to belong. At, at, when we first meet him, he's he's alone. His best friend is his dachshund. And he just is searching for that like place that he can belong to and group that he can belong to. And I think a lot of us try to find that in, in like work or at, uh, in, in extracurricular activities that we might do or whatever it is. And I think that there's an innate cult-like quality to anything like that. It's just that their cults take it to the extreme, obviously. Mm-hmm. So in this, in this space, I do think that martial arts I don't think that it's a negative. Usually I think that they're uh, obviously academies and there's football teams and stuff where they're, they're going to be a little bit run a little bit differently. And those, that difference might be a a negative, but uh, I think for the most part, martial arts is super positive, but it has elements of cults, which I find fascinating. So 
you all wear the same thing, which is this weird looking like uniform, like gi uh, or kimono. And then you also, uh, you are paying to be there. And you're also like under the instruction of one person who knows the most and he's the one or she's the one who's kind of giving you that information, but not giving it to you all at once. you got to come back. And, and then there's levels in the sense that you get your rank and you get your belt and you're like always trying to achieve that next belt. I do think that there's this weird kind of thing that goes along with cults that you find in martial arts, especially, uh, which I thought was fascinating and also think is kind of funny too. Like I, I have no delusions in the fact that I look like, like an idiot when I'm wearing a gi uh, to somebody who has no idea what I'm doing, but, uh, like, yeah, I'm, I'm there for the right reasons. And uh, yeah. So I, I just think though, that making fun of that a little bit was, was, was fun for me. It's one of those things like, Oh, I'm allowed to, cause I do it. Like I, I had somebody say that they felt like I was, uh, making fun of karate and I'm like, yeah, but I do jujitsu, man. I, <laughs> I look just as weird and silly as, as everyone else does. So it's, it's one of those things that I felt like I could make fun of. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and I'm 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 glad you mentioned that as well because uh, you know this is a dark comedy. It, it yeah, and it is uh, at moments uh, it's 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 pretty heavy at times, right? And it's a uh, very dramatic, but it's also hilarious. As far as like the tone you were going for, did you set out to do like the drama angle, or did you kind of set out to do more of the, the 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 dark humor piece? Was that was that something you were always going for? Or did that just kind of evolve out of the story you wanted to tell? Dark comedy is my favorite thing to do. I, I when I was starting to make shorts, I, I made one that was a straight horror, like kind of uh, psychological horror thing that was like 10 minutes long. It wasn't very good at all. Um, but I, I, I kind of learned a lot while I was making that. And one of the things that I learned was I can't make something that isn't funny. Like or not, not to say like everything I make is funny, but no, no, I, I can't. I'm not excited by making things that don't have a sense of humor to them or subvert some expectations, whether it's through comedy or visuals or whatever it is. And I think that once I made my short, the cub, which you can find online very easily, if you just search my name or the cub or whatever, um, that one felt so right. And that tone is exactly like, it's a baby version of the art of self-defense five minutes long. And it really kind of, I think just encapsulates how I like to go about things. Uh, and with faults, I wish I, I could have at the time pushed it even further into this space. It's definitely a dark comedy and definitely weird and everything, but I think it's a little bit more grounded than things I'm going to be doing in the future uh, and dare to self-defense. But it was one of those things where I had to make something first that showed that I could balance that tone and, so that people could trust me. And then with the, with the art of self-defense, I wrote that script and it's, it's like you said, it starts as one thing. It, it, it's very funny, hopefully in the beginning, and then it turns very dark. But I wanted that through line of comedy all the way through. And I, I think that even in the horrible, like, or violent moments or uh, super serious moments, there's always chuckles in the audience. And I, whether that's from uncomfort or, or that they actually think something's funny, I think that that's important to me. Uh, and I think it's only going to continue to go down that line from now on. I think it's a really interesting way to tackle some of these the themes. Uh, I know toxic masculinity, of course, being uh, one of the really big ones in the art of self-defense. So as far as like the toxic masculinity, was there anything in particular about that that you said, I want to make a movie about this because X, Y, Z? Yeah, I, uh, I, I think I was just feeling those feelings. And I think every guy feels those feelings, but to a certain extent. And, and the only thing is that guys don't talk about those feelings. So I was feeling like, who am I as a man? Uh, and like society says, a man is A, B, and C. 
I don't feel that stuff, but I also do, I'm, I'm, I'm don't consider myself like, um, I don't, I don't know. Like I, I didn't, I, I just didn't feel like I fit into this mold of what, what society was telling me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I kind of was uh, grappling with that. And then also, uh, was all, at the same time doing jujitsu. And I felt like blending those two together was, was the way to kind of go about things. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, it's one of those things where in retrospect, it's like, yeah, well, it makes perfect sense to put those things together. But when I was making it, it felt really weird. And I was unsure if this, this was the right way to do it. But I trusted that if you can have a comedic take on something, you can kind of talk about messages or uh, opinions or feelings that maybe you wouldn't have been able to get away with in a dramatic sense because people have been like, that's too on the nose or it's too silly. Whereas instead, with I think this comedy, I was able to really lean into it. And almost like through repetition and being super on the nose, it actually like makes some of those messages okay. And I never wanted the film to feel preachy or anything like that. And I don't think it does. Um, but it's definitely very clear about its opinions on these things. And uh, there was, there was a quote around the time that I was writing the script and I was actually putting together uh, probably, I think it was finished with the script and I was putting together the packet that kind of, uh, I was going to send out to, uh, my agents and they were going to send the producers like director statement with some images and stuff. And I found this quote from Tom, Tom Hardy that year where he had talked about, how he was afraid of other men and he was afraid to go to the gym and work out because he just didn't feel like he really fit in or belonged, but that he became an actor because he felt like he could manipulate or sorry, uh, that he could, um, become those people. He could, he could kind of like pretend to be a masculine person. And even just hearing a guy like him who I never would have thought felt that way, uh, to hear that he feel feels those feelings, I, I was like, okay, we're onto something. I know that other guys feel this, and and so I just really like leaned into it in hopes that that those feelings would feel universal. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's um, certainly a, a topic that I, that's uh, more relevant to today than ever before, at least in, sure. in recent years. I think it seems uh, pretty relevant. Uh, now, yeah. uh, I do want to change gears a little bit here and talk a little bit about your your casting. And now you've assembled a really top-notch cast. Of course, you have Jesse Eisenberg in the lead. Uh, you have Imogene Poots, Alessandro, uh, Nivola. I mean, just a really great trio of uh, folks in this movie. Writing the script, were there any particular people and you had in mind or were these people you were kind of eyeing pretty early on in your casting process? I mean, with Jesse, I tr- so first of all, of all, I actually try, especially right now, uh, or with the first two films, I tried very much not to write for a specific person. Uh, the exception was on fault. Uh, my ex uh, is, is Mary Winstead. And so I was like, I know that I'm writing for her. And so like, I was able to kind of envision that and I knew she was going to do it. And that, that's great. And so you can play to somebody's strengths or weaknesses or whatever, although she doesn't really have any weaknesses as an actor. So it's just playing to her strengths. With, uh, with the lead role in that one, it was very much like, I'm going to write this character and I'm not going to give it a face or anything because I think you kind of close yourself off uh, later on in casting when this one person that you've had in your mind this whole time like either doesn't ever even read your script, their agents don't pass it along to you or to them, or uh, they they read it and they it's not for them. And I don't I don't want to ever get to that place where I'm closed off uh, in my thoughts of who somebody can be. And so that was the same thing for the art of self defense. I wrote Casey as this almost like uh, faceless man in my head as I was I was going through the script. But once we went through the casting process or we're going through it, I I was kind of really stuck on the idea of him being in his 40s 
and that it, I felt like it would be a little sadder that that guy in his 40s doesn't know who he is as a man. And and then when he starts karate, it'd be even sillier if he's in his 40s wearing a karate gi and alongside like teenagers and stuff. So once once I kind of was going through the casting process with Casey, I realized very quickly that guys that age, at least at that point in time, that exact point in time that I was starting to pass off the script, just didn't get the script or even worse. There was one guy in particular who like actually said to me in an email, I love the script, but I can't play a weak character right now. Mm. And I just like that, that reinforced my idea that, okay, I'm making the right movie. This Mm -hmm. is something that's scaring some guys. Uh, And we kind of went back to the drawing board at a certain point. And, and I, I thought, okay, let's just go after younger crew of people that maybe will understand it in a different way. Uh, And the first person, when we kind of went back to the drawing board, uh, uh, that we talked about was Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, my agents are, are like, are, I'm at the same agency. They sent it to him and he just got it. And it made sense. Our first uh, conversation was like a couple of, well, I want to say like a week later, he and I came or met up at a coffee shop here in LA. We talked and we just hit it off. And I knew that he was the character. And that's a really great feeling. Like I, I, I go all this time without having a face, to this uh, to this name, and now all of a sudden that's your character, that's your lead actor. Um, and then as soon as he was on, uh, I, I talked to Imogen Poots, uh, who he had worked with before, but also she's uh, she's at the same agency as me, and she knew that she was the right person, and so she was super easy to cast. Uh, I was such a huge fan of her, especially in Green Room. And then Alessandro, the sensei character, was the trickiest one to do because we were con- we were up to the wire or down to the wire. And I was in Kentucky prepping the film three days out. We cast Alessandro. Wow. And again, it was one of those things where I think guys were afraid of that role. And rightly so, particularly the time frame that we had and in, in, their, in their prep for the, for the role. But I almost knew that Alessandro was the, was the perfect guy for the role when he wasn't afraid of that. Or at least he didn't tell me those fears. Uh, after the fact, I found out he was scared, like super scared, but because it was just three days, you've got karate, you've got to learn, you've got uh, choreography, you've got these crazy monologues. And also it's a style that I'm, I'm very particular about my acting style that I'm looking for. So yeah, to his credit, he just came in and blew us away. And those three together, I mean, it, it was, it was a dream come true. So I think we're about to wind down our interview here. And, uh, again, thank you so much for your time. When can our <laughs> listeners expect to see the movie? Cool. Yeah. I mean, we were very fortunate that, I mean, our response at South by was amazing and uh, we've been playing festivals since then uh, that, that it just kind of keeps getting more and more exciting to, to release it to a wider audience. But Bleecker Street, my distributor has been on board since the very beginning and they see the, the response and they are really excited about uh, releasing it to as many people as possible, even though we're an independent film. And so July 12th, we'll be in L.A., New York, San Francisco, and Austin. And then the following week, we're going to expand. Uh, and I mean, it, it's still, like I said, an independent film, but we're going to make sure that people can see this. Like I'm, I'm being sent photos from friends and they're walking uh, through their like hometown mall and they're at the AMC and there's a poster up saying coming soon. And I this will be the first time that I've, I've experienced that. Faults played 11 theaters nationwide. Uh, and... Every single one of those theaters, except for one, only played it for one week, and then it was out of theaters. And I mean, that, I'll, t- I'll take it, but with self-defense, it looks like we're going to get a proper release. And I mean, word of mouth is going to be super important and everything, but July 12th, uh, uh, yeah, I'm just so excited. It's 
almost exactly a month away now. And uh, I, yeah, I feel like it's going to go by very quickly. And then all of a sudden it's going to be here and I'm going to be like, ah, it's out. Okay, you can see it. And I, I can't wait. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. And uh, well, con- again, congratulations on getting the film uh, distributed. It sounds like a pretty wide release. A movie like this, for me, and I think a lot of uh, our, our listeners out there, uh, this is a good palate cleanser in between all the big blockbusters is to get something a little more challenging, a little more interesting, uh, a little smaller. So um, I think this is the, the perfect uh, film to catch in between your blockbusters this summer. And yeah, and just also as an aside, I'll say too, our opening weekend is going to be really great for independent films. So you guys can go and see not only my movie, but the farewell that A24 is releasing, which I hear is incredible and I can't wait to see it. And then there's Lynn Shelton's The Sort of Trust as well that opening weekend. I, there, there are going to be so many good opportunities to see independent film uh, this summer amongst all the blockbusters. So definitely make sure that you, you try to see one of those. It's like you go to a film festival to see a documentary because those documentaries aren't going to necessarily get uh, theatrical distribution. Uh, during the summertime, try to see an indie. Like, change it up. Yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent. Especially like a yeah, yeah. Go ca- catch the indies all summer long, uh, and uh, yeah, support the support independent film. Uh, it's a yeah, uh, we're really passionate about here at the Cinematropolis. Uh, well, uh, Riley, uh, before we close uh, out the interview, is there anything else you would like to add about the art of self defense for our listeners today? Uh, not necessarily. I'm just I'm really anxious to see what uh, the audiences think of it. I don't make movies just for myself. Like I think a lot of directors try to say. I, as long as I'm happy, like, I don't care what anyone else thinks. I made the movie for me. I made the movie for myself, but I also hope that people like it too. And I hope that people get a chance to see it. Uh, we do this because it's a communal thing. I want people to be able to go to the theater, see a movie with friends, have fun, talk about it afterwards. And uh, yeah, I'm just really looking forward to seeing that happen with this film, hopefully. So everybody, make sure to keep your eyes peeled for The Art of Self-Defense. This has been Riley Stearns, the writer-director of the film. Uh, Thank you so much for joining the Cinematic Schematic today. Thank you very much for having me. And to you listeners out there who enjoyed our talk, make sure to stay subscribed to the Cinematic Schematic podcast for more interviews and film analysis-driven insights. Or you can also hit us up on social media on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Cinematropolis or on Twitter at The Cinematrop. And lastly, you can read all of our essays covering Dead Center and the most interesting films of this summer by heading to our website, thecinematropolis.com. Thanks so much for tuning in to this special Cinematropolis interview.